0: This message comes from NPR sponsor, the Capital One Venture X Card. Earn unlimited 2X miles on everything you buy. Plus, get access to a $300 annual credit for bookings through Capital One Travel. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. Details at CapitalOne.com.
1: This is World Cafe. I'm Raina Duras. It can be scary. Bearing your soul in a song, especially if you're singing about something you'd much rather leave in the past. And that's why, for most of their career, the Aces focused on the good stuff. The indie pop band's catalog is full of bubbly, upbeat songs that celebrate young love and self-discovery. Their third and latest album, called I've Loved You For So Long, is still a ton of fun, but the Aces are also opening up more. The four members, Katie Henderson, McKenna Petty, and sisters Crystal and Elisa Ramirez, are based in L.A., but they grew up in Provo, Utah, where the prominence of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints made life hard for queer folks, the band says. The Aces has three queer members. As part of our Sense of Place Provo series, we have this special session with the Aces. They spoke with World Cafe producer Miguel Perez about being more vulnerable on this latest album, about being inspired by '80s new wave, and about what it was like growing up in Provo. Their conversation is coming up. First, here's Girls Make Me Want to Die. It's the Aces, live for the World Cafe. Aces with Girls Make Me Want to Die. That's from the band's latest album, I've Loved You For So Long. The Aces are our guests on the show today. It's World Cafe. I'm Raina Duris. All four members of the band sat down with our producer, Miguel Perez, to talk about their album, which digs into their childhood growing up in Provo, Utah. But the record didn't start out that way. Here's lead vocalist, Crystal Ramirez. We originally were just writing uh,
2: songs about my panic attacks that I was having, and uh, it snowballed into what became the record, what became the more introspective record that you hear. So we didn't really kind of go in with the idea that we were going to tell that story. That story kind of came out really naturally and organically and honestly kind of it was kind of scary to, ch- to follow that story. Like it was kind of scary to realize that that
3: was the story we were telling and then
2: to trust that this was what we were supposed to be doing.
3: This record is a lot more introspective than our other two records. I think our other two records were a little more outward and what was like happening in the moment. And this record, you know, it was the product of the pandemic. It was the product of us being home with ourselves and our demons for two years. Um, And so there was a lot of growth, personal growth happening on our end. The intention behind the Sonic Pivot was wanting to root in the sound that we made when we were kids, kind of when we were growing up in Provo and when we were in that music scene, when we were younger, when we were rehearsing in Katie's parents' basement and in the garage, and we wanted to bring back that kind of live indie rock thing that we always had as, as kids and uh, to reflect what the story was, you know, it was about about our youth and growing up there.
0: What was scary about digging back into that that story, that childhood?
2: I think it was really scary to talk candidly about the pain that was caused. You know, I think that when you're raised in uh, Provo, Utah, you know, it's dominantly Mormon. And there's a very, um, like, rose-colored glasses perspective and and, uh, lensing that happens in a small religious town like that. And... Especially if you choose not to participate in the culture anymore, there's an expectation to move on and, like, leave it alone. And, and you know, a, a lot of us have family. All of our families still live there. And some of our families are still actively religious people. And so it was scary to kind of confront that past and be like, no, this was my experience. My experience was that there was a lot of pain and a lot of um, self-loathing and a lot of, like struggle with self-acceptance so to go into and explore that and to really be vulnerable and also even outside of it being so specifically you know hometown charged there's just a fear when you're going to go that vulnerable in your art in general i feel about how people are going to receive it how your fans are going to receive it how the world's going to receive it if your vulnerability is going to be respected and accepted if your vulnerability is going to be critiqued
4: yeah i think too like when you decide when we decided to like talk about these things and knew that it was going to be a huge part of the discussions around the record and like doing interviews and stuff I think it is a scary thing too for you to like accept that that was your reality of like where you grew up and where you came from and where you are now and how that relates to you know like yeah your relationships with your family and your relationships with your hometown and I think that was Another scary thing of us all deciding, like, yeah, we we're going to talk about this because then you kind of have to get to the point of accepting, like, yeah, this happened and this was the reality for us. And that was just a big step to take.
0: Yeah. There's so much here. You know, you have this big basket of emotions, of history as individuals, as a band. With all of that in mind, can you talk a little bit about? sonically the decision that you made on this record you're kind of exploring like an 80s new wave sound i'm getting hints of the cure Mm -hmm. um can y'all tell me how everything that you've been saying turned into this sound
3: i mean kind of pointing back to what i was mentioning earlier is we really wanted to root in the music that we grew up on and how we made music as kids um to honor the story that we were telling and you're totally right with the with catching the Cure influence and the 80s new wave influence. And, and there's even a little bit of pop punk influence because Paramore was a massive inspiration for our band as kids. That's like one of the first band we would cover their songs. That's like, I basically learned how to drum covering Paramore songs. And so there's kind of a mix of all these things that were a fundamental part of our childhood. And bands like The Cure and The Smiths are bands that you kind of listen to them in your headphones and that you kind of retreat into those bands a lot and i think that's what this record was for us so we really we really wanted to lean into that kind of like nostalgia that grittiness that raw organic sound between a band we really wanted to capture the magic of the fact that we've been playing together since we were eight years old.
0: Yeah. The other element that I also really love is the guitar solos that come up. Katie, I want to kind of turn to you. Can you talk a little bit about that element, how it kind of ties everything together, I feel?
5: This record was really fun cuz we got to we did the whole record with a producer named Keith Verin and he's an insane musician and a crazy guitar player. So it was really fun to get to work with him and kind of bounce back and forth with different ideas and uh I, it was yeah, it was super fun and really inspiring. I feel like it's for me I play really like texturized melodic parts like I try to add some texture and things that feel kind of like true to the aces, which is just kind of like bouncy guitar parts and kind of little pieces that just like kind of scratch an itch for me. And I and I love to play like really melodically. And something I really love about this album is I feel like the production really matches the tone of the lyrics and the melodies. And I feel like every piece of the album is telling the story, like in Suburban Blues, for example, you have those like really just like heavy, big guitars. And it's a really like heavy, sad song, you know, and you can hear that at the end. You can hear this big distortion tail and this like ring out and it was just basically me and Keith turning on every guitar pedal we had in the studio and I would just like play something and hold it to the speaker and just kind of like have the guitar kind of scream and swell. And, and in my opinion, it really matches this what's being said in the song. It was really fun to kind of just do everything analog. It wasn't like on a computer at all. So we were able to go through tons of different amps, tons of pedals, and just get super creative, just like endless amounts of possibilities, which was really fun.
0: Yeah. You mentioned Suburban Blues. I immediately thought of, of another song of, of y'all's when I first heard that off your last album, 801, because I was like, oh, they're kind of telling a similar story, but from completely different emotional spaces. <laughs> <laughs>
3: mm-hmm. Yeah. And
0: it's what a, I mean, what a vulnerable song. Can you talk a little bit about writing this song and having the confidence to, to access that space?
3: Yeah, Mm -hmm. I love that you drew the parallel between 801 and suburban blues, because I think at the time of writing Under My Influence and writing 801 as a song, we were very much like relishing in the confidence we'd found in our identity, confident as a queer person, confident to show up even in these spaces in your small hometown that's surrounded with homophobia and kind of like, you know, just taking up your space and not being afraid to to be in your identity and, and finding your people, finding your counterculture and your community within um, a society that doesn't totally align with who you are and your and your values versus I think, you know, with writing suburban blues, it was the inverse of that. It was going back to being the 14 year old kid that hadn't found that confidence yet, that hadn't found that community yet and really putting ourselves back in her shoes and and painting the picture, remembering what it was like to feel like basically a prisoner in your own reality not able to live authentically having this huge secret that was eating you alive the anxiety and the mundaneness of living in this town that you felt like you were going to be stuck in forever and just couldn't see a way out of it felt really important to give
1: our 14 year old selves a voice
0: yeah mckenna what did you think of of suburban blues when you first received it when you first um i guess read the lyrics or understood the the song
4: It's still one of my favorite songs because I actually feel like I can relate to it in a lot of ways, too. Obviously, like from a completely different experience of not growing up queer, but still growing up in this place where I felt like I just didn't belong. I felt like I didn't fit into the mold. Um, Where we grew up, it is very hard even just being a woman and just like wanting to do something that's different from the norm. Like it's very much like cookie cutter you do things a certain way. And I never felt like I wanted to do things the way that I was supposed to. And so that experience and that feeling is something that people feel everywhere. And we saw that for sure on this world tour that we just did. It was so crazy to go to places like Prague and Australia and people are sobbing and screaming the lyrics. And it's like, these people are having these feelings too. I think this is a very human experience.
0: Yeah, well, it's a fantastic song. So let's take a listen to a live performance. It's Suburban Blues. The Aces on World Cafe.
1: performing Suburban Blues live on World Cafe. I'm Raina Duras. Going to rejoin our conversation with the Aces now. The band talked with our producer, Miguel Perez, about their latest record, I've Loved You For So Long. Three-fourths of the Aces identify as queer. And on this latest album, the band opened up more about the struggles they faced growing up in the mostly Mormon community of Provo, Utah. But there was a silver lining to living in Provo. The band describes the music scene there as a safe haven for them as kids, especially the support of the all-ages music venue Velour and owner Corey Fox. Virtually every band from the region has played Velour. Here's Ace's guitarist Katie Henderson.
5: Corey kind of created like his own little world with Velour that was really different. I feel like from everywhere else, and I remember I always loved going there because because of how different it felt um my brothers were in a band called desert noises and so i grew up going to that venue all the time and then i was like 11 12 13 and like just when you're like a little kid like that it was like your dream to play a venue like that and sell it out and when we ended up being able to play there eventually i i just felt like it was so cool that you could like kind of grow your own scene and fan base in your hometown and i feel like that's not really the norm anymore you know like it's not really normal to just like gig hard and sell tickets and build a base in your hometown and then kind of spread from there. And I feel really lucky that we were able to, to do that. And it was an all ages venue. I mean, because of how religious Utah is, obviously, there's not like you can't drink really anywhere.
3: Yeah, I think Corey is like such a special person, the way that he was able to cultivate that safe space. In the middle of a place that was so rigid and so by the book of this religion, I think there was something in him that must have sensed there needs to be an outlet for people to go. Because I agree with Katie, like you walked into Valor and it felt like you like weren't in Provo, Utah anymore. It felt like you kind of transform into this other area and you're surrounded by artists and you're surrounded by misfits and you're surrounded by people that aren't afraid, that have the courage to challenge what's happening in provo utah especially provo which is where byu is and which is where there's loads of temples and like the per capita there is so so mormon like that's like the thick of mormonism even within utah is provo that's way more intense than salt lake way more intense than other neighborhoods so i felt like the lore was this kind of safe space and where we could go and and we really were able to cut our teeth as a band especially such a young band like katie mentioned it being all ages that was huge we couldn't gig at at most places because most, most places you could play a show at were bars up in Salt Lake City and a band of 10 and 12 year olds cannot go play a show or learn how to be on stage at a bar. So the fact that it was an all ages venue in our hometown that just drew in loads of misfits, created this strong sense of community and an outlet for, for those that were disenfranchised from their community there was just so special. And, and Corey from a young age, was a huge champion of our creativity and a huge champion of what we were doing. He really sought us out and and was one of the first people to really sit us down and tell us, you guys can do this. Like I've seen loads of bands come through this venue and I know that you guys have what it takes. I want you to really take it seriously.
4: Yeah, I felt like Valor and Corey too, it was like this little glimmer of hope, like where we were, because it really was the only, like we didn't have TikTok or like, Facebook, we had Facebook, I think, but we didn't even really have like Instagram until we were like older. So we didn't even know, we didn't know anyone in the music industry. We didn't know anybody who was doing this. It was so far from our reality. And so it was almost like this little glimmer of hope of like, oh, we can get out and like we can do this. And there is a way to do it because there were bands like Neon Trees and bands like Imagine Dragons, like those bands who had like come through and played Valour, and now we're doing it on a bigger scale. And I think that was like really inspiring for us.
0: Yeah. Crystal, did you have anything that you wanted to add?
4: Um, I mean, I think they've said pretty much
2: everything, but I just, the thing that I also loved about Provo, like it's like, I feel like as I'm sitting here listening to everyone talk about it, I'm just like having a lot of memories, which is like, like very fun, like sweet memories of being a teenager. And even though, you know, I think my teen years were full of a lot of depression and anxiety around my identity. Valour was really that place that I could set my sights on, like, the, like being in Provo down there and playing shows. Like that was my outlet. That was my way to like show up in the world as I wanted to show up. And, you know, it was really like being in LA now, I think it's like, I don't know, like, in it really was, like, you would just, like, I met some of my best friends, like, outside of the girls, like, when I was a teenager, we were all just playing shows together every weekend. And, like, the bill was changing, and so you were playing with different bands, and you like, we should play a show together, and you were playing a show together, and, like, there's just something so special about that, because that's not common really anywhere else. And I think music, especially as you kind of climb the ladder and you become more successful, it gets really competitive, and people start to really kind of... Like, they don't want to collaborate. They want to be really careful if they collaborate. They only want to collaborate if it benefits them. Like, there's less community. There's just not community in that way, in my opinion. At least I haven't found it in LA. It's a lot harsher. It's a lot more competitive. And in Utah, it was more like, we were competing in a way that was really innocent. It was like, oh, who's going to show up and, like, play the best show? And it wasn't this, like, harsh thing where you were angry. It was kind of like, we want to play a better show. What should we bring in? What props should we put on stage? Because last time they used these props on stage and it was so sick it was and motivating. so motivating. Like, how can we, it was motivating, and it, but it, and at the end of the day, you were all friends.
0: Yeah, it was really interesting being there when the World Cafe team spent a few days in Provo because you literally have Velour on the same block as the main recording studio that all of the, the local musicians use. It's called June Audio, And everyone just kind of congregates and everything is encapsulated in this small space.
2: It's all you have. Like those blocks are all you have because that's truthfully outside of that. It's churches and houses and schools. But like you go to that main street and everything's just there. And there's something really special about that. Like the venues are there. They're all in a line. The only coffee shops. When we were kids... There was not coffee shops in Utah, in Utah County. It was like just in Provo. If you wanted to like, it's so funny when I think about this stuff, like the first time I drank coffee was in Provo. Like I went down to like, and it seemed so like I was going to go hang at the coffee shop and like for really small town, like religious kids, like those little acts of rebellion were like so exciting, and so, like, gave you these, and it seems so silly and so, like, oh, my God, you, like, that's so, you know, it's just coffee or whatever. But, like, they were, like, our first window into, like, rebelling and thinking for ourselves and choosing to live life the way we wanted to was all in those those few streets in Provo. And, and you would go down there to, like, I mean, that's the first time I kind of, like, really met queer people and was around other people that were actively you know, rejecting the religion and choosing to live their lives in the way that was authentic to them was in Provo.
4: That's what I was going to say, too, is that Valor, I think, is the first place I ever saw an openly queer couple and a non-binary person was like at a show in Valor when you we were kids. Crazy. It's just it's so funny because talking about this,
2: you brings it up in like full swing and then you're like, oh, you start having like all these memories.
0: Yeah. So we've been talking about home a lot. Um, L.A., Utah, Provo, or, um um, that's something that always interests me, just like the idea of home. And I think, especially as queer people, I think a lot of us think about that a lot and how it should feel and how yeah. it does feel. And I'm, I'm just curious, you know, this band, y'all, I'm bad at math, but I think it's nearly what, 15 years more than that, that y'all have been together? Seven, seven, 17 seven, years, Almost yeah. 20 years. So I'm just mm-hmm. curious, you know, like, do y'all feel like this band, this, this space that you, you four have built together feels like, like home?
2: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, 100%. I think that this band and the feeling between us four is really the thing that's, like, made it possible, I think, for all of us to, like, figure out who we we were, who we are. And I know for me, it made it possible for me to entertain the idea that one day I would figure all these big questions that I had about myself out. And we're really just this band to me. is like, we're it's just
4: like family. It's hard to even put into words just because of how much we've been through with each other. And I'm so glad that we've done it together. I don't know like how anyone could have done all of that alone. So I just think it's such a blessing and it is home and it is so special to like now all be, you know, living within 10 minutes of each other in LA. Like it makes it feel so much easier. Like I'm the last one to move here. So it's like, Making that adjustment from Utah and having them here, it, it does feel like there's little pieces of home wherever we go when we're together. And when we're traveling the world and on tour, It, I just, I
1: can't imagine doing it with anyone else. That was McKenna Petty of The Aces talking with World Cafe producer Miguel Perez. The Aces are our guests today on World Cafe. Let's close out this session with one last live performance. Here's the title track from the band's latest album. It's I've Loved You For So Long on World Cafe. live for World Cafe, that was The Aces with I've Loved You For So Long. Big thanks to Katie, McKenna, Crystal, and Elisa for joining us on the show today, and to World Cafe producer Miguel Perez for producing that segment. I'm Raina Duras, back in a moment with more World Cafe.
3: Listen to the Shuffle podcast from IdeaStream Public Media. Shuffle is your backstage pass to Northeast Ohio's independent music scene. The region, birds, Devo, and the Black Keys, and the area is still home to artists making music in an eclectic mix of genres. I'm your host, Amanda Rabinowitz. Discover independent music, be inspired by the personal stories. Listen to the Shuffle podcast from the NPR Network and IdeaStream Public Media.
1: Support for this podcast and the following message come from Dignity Memorial. When your celebration of life is prepaid today, your family is protected tomorrow. Planning ahead is truly one of the best gifts you can give your family. For additional information, visit DignityMemorial.com. This message comes from NPR sponsor Shopify, the global commerce platform that helps you sell and show up exactly the way you want to. Customize your online store to your style. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at Shopify.com slash NPR.